Welcome to Talk Tennis, a podcast created specifically for you, the tennis fanatic. Join us each week as we work to elevate your game both on and off the court. We will deliver fresh episodes to keep you up to date with tennis trends and technologies, as well as exclusive interviews with industry experts, current and former pros, and so much more. Here's your host, Michelle. Welcome to Talk Tennis. Today, I am so excited because two of my favorites and your favorites are back we have Crawford Lindsay, the TWU professor, and J-Dub Jonathan Wolf, the badass string racket extraordinaire, joining us again on the podcast. Thanks, you guys. It's been a hot minute, and I'm so happy to have you. How come I didn't get badass in my introduction? <laughs> <laughs> So this episode is going to be dedicated to some of, answering some of those questions that we've generated, you guys have generated, Jonathan's generated, just some of these questions that we've always wanted answered and some of us just don't get it, aren't smart enough, just haven't dived into the content or the science of it all. So I'm going to go to J-Dub and I'm going to have you kick this off with the first question. All right. I, I hate to start with such a heavy topic. But the universe has waited long enough. <laughs> Let's make some news. What is your opinion of low-density urban sprawl? <laughs> All right, I'm just kidding. Uh, next, please. <laughs> All right, so here's the real question. Oh, no. For a mid-morning snack. <laughs> Would you rather have a maple muffin? This is good. A maple muffin or a fruit ball? <laughs> maple mu- maple muffin for breakfast. Maple mu- maple muffin for snack. Maple muffin for lunch. Maple <laughs> muffin for dinner. See, I'm I'm sort of there with you, Michelle. Uh, <laughs> yeah. When you, especially when you guys have maple muffins, it's hard to deny the maple muffin deliciousness. But then you got to ask the question, especially for the locals. Do you go maple muffin from nautical bean or vegan pumpkin muffin from Black Horse? I'm going to have to say both because, uh, you know, <laughs> we got to support <laughs> all of our local right. vendors. They know him at both places. <laughs> and he's a troublemaker when he goes in there. So he doesn't really want to podcast about it. <laughs> we need some sponsors. So call in all coffee shops with good pastries. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> okay, enough about me. All right. So <laughs> that was a good icebreaker. Let's go. Let's get into the dreaded science where we are, where we ask Crawford questions from a book he wrote in 2005, which I'm sure he remembers word by word. I wrote a book. Exactly. Um, Jeez. I'm taking notes just for the record. <laughs> we in the tennis industry love to talk about feel and touch. Many string evaluation forms have separate scoring categories for both comfort and feel or mm-hmm. feel slash touch. So the first question is, why don't you have tools at Tennis Warehouse University with the word feel or touch in the title. Um, Also, and we'll probably have to take this after the the first one, should we get rid of the feel category in our TW playtest 
string form. I mean, are you prepared today? Put the category of feel out of its misery. Um, <laughs> Michelle, have you ever seen the movie Old Yeller? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, okay. All right. I won't, well, I won't do the summary. Um, anyway, so back to feel. Um, it, it, you know, is there a reason why you don't have like a tool that's at, that where you talk, where you basically provide hard data on feel or touch? Jonathan, Jonathan, I don't know where to, I don't know where to start with that one, or if I can. Right. Yeah. Um, I, have, I have my own answer that I've gleaned from you over the years. Okay. Well, first of all, a racket or a string has no such property as feel. Okay. There's no such thing as feel. That comes from the player, but the player does feel certain things that are coming from both the racket and the strings. One of the ironic things is that anything that you feel that gets to your hand then gets to your brain and is interpreted as, as whatever it is occurs after the ball has already left. Right. So whatever you feel happens in your brain after the ball has already left the racket. So there's nothing you can do feedback-wise if you get a signal to your brain that says uh, grip harder or this feels bad or this feels good or whatever. There's nothing you can do about it at that time. The ball's already gone, okay? Right. So feel is something that happens afterwards, and it's an interpretation of what got to your hand. And the only thing that you, only perception that you get in your brain is shock and vibration that happens at your hand. That's the only thing that happens. And plus the audio of the sound of the, the impact. But the only thing that gets to your hand is the shock and vibration. So that's all you feel. You don't feel some buttery, uh, pleasurable uh, thing that's happening. It's just shock and vibration. And then you interpret it as, as you would. So we can measure shock. We can measure vibration. We can measure the uh, effective mass or the hitting weight of the uh, hitting location. So we know uh, the effective mass of that, that point. And these are properties of the racket. And everybody interprets those things differently. And the same properties can be interpreted as good or bad, depending on the player. So there is no such thing as good or bad feel. It's just what you like. Right, right. And I, and, you know, I think that just sort of crystallizes, you know, what, what you sort of said and written over the years that, you know, TW University deals with measurable properties, you know, and the concept of feel is, is too vague and you can't put a number to it. And it's heavily, it's dependent on the player and what's going on inside the player. Um, that said, even if you can't quantify feel, you know, as you sort of pointed out, the category is useful because it allows players to parse feedback over and above, say, like the narrow confines of the comfort category. Let's sort of take an example where feel comes into play. Um, when strings lose tension, some players claim they go dead. Um, 
in actuality, the string bed has has gotten softer and and likely more powerful, but it feels mushy and no longer has the sound that players associate with a powerful shot. Um, Also, because the response is erratic, the player often compensates by swinging slower, you know, ergo less power, you know, and you kind of reinforce this in your book, Technical Tennis, you know, where you claim that with dead strings, you haven't lost power, but you've lost the feel of providing the power and, and getting the associated feedback with that powerful stroke. So, you know, my takeaway is that the feedback, which also includes sound, is absolutely crucial to player psychology. You know, I think at one point, Crawford, you reference an experiment, I forget if it was in, it may have been in technical tennis, where players wore earplugs. And they reported that their shots were less powerful. Um, So let's play this out. Imagine being in a match and having the feeling like you weren't getting enough power, even though your ball speed was fine. And, and so your wires get crossed, and you walk around with a confused look, and you lose your mojo, and your opponent sees this and gets more confident, all because you didn't have the right feel or sound, the right feedback. So it's clear that, 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 again, even though you can't quantify it and put it in a tool, um, we need the category to make sense of our experience. Um, and, and it also gives you a place to start digging for answers. That's kind of where you, you know, you're like, if it's happening inside the player, I got, I kind of got to figure out what it is and how much the gear is contributing and how much player psychology is contributing. But I'll ask Michelle this, have you ever had, say problems because of the feel or sound of the string bed like for instance do you use a dampener (laughs) yes i've had problems no i do not use a dampener but most recently and as you know um i was hitting with a racket that definitely had a different sound and i did install a dampener and it did change my experience to be more positive and then even change my whole thought process and wondering if I should start using a dampener more often. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it seems to me like something is going on, especially with the number of people who, who use a dampener. Something's definitely being communicated. That's absolutely essential to the way they're relating to, to the shot. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, well, first of all, you're way above my pay grade on this. We're talking, we're talking psychology and psychiatry and uh, you know, probably biomechanics and everything, physiology. And I'm just a, a little physics guy. I deal with strings and rackets and stuff. The emotions are more me. <laughs> the science. But um, with reference to your point, the what we do is we try to quantify all the properties of all the equipment. So racket strings, balls, courts, shoes, whatever. We try to measure the quantity, the the properties of these things under dynamic conditions, play conditions. Okay. So what's happening uh, with all of those things? 
those numbers are the reference points. They're the baselines for a player. If they know, if they look at their racket and they look at the numbers and they like their racket, they say they look at the numbers that are relevant to them on all of the properties and especially two or three properties that are most important we can get into later. But those become their number and they know that they feel comfortable with a racket or string or whatever that has that number for that property. Then they know that number makes them feel good. And when you feel good on the court, whether or not the reality is that your ball is going faster or in more often or whatever it is that's important, if you think it is and it makes you feel good, you're going to play with confidence and then you're going to make that right. And therefore, you're going to swing harder or just, you know, play out more and you're probably going to play better. And you'll attribute it to the racket, even if the racket oven by itself is making you hit slower or, or out more, you'll probably, uh, because of the confidence factor, play better with it. So that's why it is kind of funny that people will say, I get much more power, for example. We always say power because it's just so easy, but you get much more power out of a racket. And it can be proven that that racket is the lowest power racket on the market. But because you, A, play with confidence and playing with confidence leads to a faster swing um, uh, without any fear of errors, then uh, you end up hitting it harder because and with more power because you're swinging faster not because the racket is doing anything in that situation but in, but but at the end of the day uh, in reality your interpretation of what's happening is probably pretty close to what's happening in reality so in real life a racket that's suited to you will have the proper power and will be approximately what you're thinking it's delivering and the important point is just to know what your power potential, what the number is, uh, what we call ACOR, uh, apparent coefficient of restitution, or we just call power potential uh, to make things easier. Uh, if you know what it is for a given racket, uh, then any racket that's similar to that in that property will, will probably deliver the same feeling for you. I know that when you hit a successful shot, but the feel wasn't right, that can almost get in your head and you don't enjoy it as much. It's almost like, would you rather have a racket that chronically didn't feel right at impact, but somehow the shot always seemed to work and maybe your, your match results were, were great, but you hated the feel of it. And if that would eventually drive you nuts so that <laughs> just gave up on the racket because some i mean this i'm not saying this again psychology i mean you're going to learn to like whatever uh, works for you probably right right exactly but that's a good point because there's definitely rackets we've play tested where it's like I really don't like this racket, but then I get into a point situation and all of a sudden I'm winning points and it's hard, to, <laughs> but, but the psychology, then you like start wanting to pick it up again because maybe, or you can tweak little things. Maybe if I strung it differently, if I drop the tension or up the tension or hybrid it. So I think that becomes a psychology moment, teaching experience where you're like, oh, relearn. Right, right. To, to ground this a little bit, we did once did an experiment years ago, very, very brief experience, experiment, and it wasn't a complete one. It was just 
sort of a hypothetical. And three players went out on the court and we had a target zone, a regular target, concentric circles, and each one was, uh, that's where you aimed the ball. And you got five, you know, five points for a bullseye, three points for outside that radius and two points outside that radius. And then we had a radar gun measuring the speed of your shot. And we had a feeder feeding the ball at, to, the, each, to the player at the exact same speed and bounce each time. And then we had several different rackets that we were testing and had three players doing this. So anyway, we, with each hit, the player would, we would record the speed of the shot. We would record the, the accuracy score and the bullseye and then add those up and get a complete uh, power and control score for that racket. I forget how many times we hit it and how many, you know, impacts each time. But um, then we asked the players after they went through the three or four rackets, however many we were testing, um, which racket they liked the best. And of the three players, the one that recorded the most power and most control came in last each time. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't know what, what rackets supposedly they were playing with. So there wasn't any uh, confirmation bias or otherwise happening. Uh, the rackets weren't blacked out though. So they, they were peaking. I know they were, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) but still, uh, what the control and power scores showed was happening, um, compared to their perception and what they liked was the complete opposite of what you would think. Right. I mean, imagine what would happen if you're, you know, your favorite racket, I mean, Michelle, your your RS 97 autograph, you go down and you, test it against a racket that you know you don't like for whatever reason no i was gonna bring this up though because this happens better with you know the other racket in almost every category but you know maybe at some point if you were to bring it into a match setting there's something else about you know your pro staff which is which you absolutely need so you'd ultimately pick it but even like when we're doing play site uh, data, data, however you pronounce that word, <laughs> um, it's this blows my mind because it's so hard to control. Again, once you start talking about feelings and emotions, it's not a scientific thing. We can't get it on the, you know, you can't measure that because if I'm testing an RF-97 next to a pure drive tour in my head I'm, and they're strung the exact same way and I'm h- hitting the exact same, I'm like warm, I'm same exact balls. In my head, I'm thinking, okay, I know the RF has a little bit more mass. I know the pure drive tour swings a little faster, but I also feel like I can hit a bigger ball with the. And so, like, I might be like stepping up and trying to put more of my weight in, like, my stroke changes. Right. Exactly. So, I guess, so yeah, but now we're really getting right. So, it's hard <laughs> to have an accurate test. But, you know, I, I just sort of brought up, you know, I, you know, the reason I brought it up was because feel can get, you know, sort of complicated when you're trying to convey it to other people real quick. I mean, whenever I see like a word like playability, um, which is extremely vague, um, or again, touch or feel on, say, a string package, I think, well, why, why stop there? Why, why not include like world peace? 
or eternal bliss. <laughs> I mean, there's lots of things that don't have numbers to them that you can just kind of throw in there and say, well, we thought it was there. <laughs> well, and that's why we do what we do. I mean, when you come down to at the end of the day, we just measure the properties of the equipment. Right. And we can tell you exactly which equipment will do what. And uh, performance wise, uh, which will give you more spin, which will give you more ball velocity, which will give you more trajectory, um, which will have less shock and vibration. Uh, all of these things are measurable and they are properties of the racket. Um, and we take the player out of it. Okay. Right. And right. yeah, I was going to say, and maybe take it a step farther as like, what, what do you measure that can like begin to let a player know how they might feel kind of thing, like right. stiffness yeah. or vibration. Exactly. Right. And when it, Right. And, and and so there's two ways to go about using all of our tools that, that that utilize those those properties those measurements, is that one you have a racket that you like or a string that you like and so you want to get something similar, although you might as well just stick with what you like and why get but but you can, and so you would go to the tools and find uh, rackets and strings with properties that are exactly similar especially the two most important properties in string, it's string stiffness. And in rackets, it's the power potential. Uh, those two numbers and the closest thing to power potential that would be hitting weight or swing weight. Those three things are almost the same thing when it comes to rackets. Uh, you could use all three of those to compare rackets. Uh, and in strings, string stiffness says it all. Okay. Uh, um, but so you can look for rackets and strings that are similar to what you're using. And that'll give you very similar results performance wise. Or if you're looking, you're not satisfied with your present equipment, then you go and the tools are arranged such that they're in scales. And so that you can pick something that's X percent more or less of whatever you're looking for. So if you want more power, more spin, more, more comfort, whatever you just look for, properties that are 5%, 3%, whatever, more or less of uh, your present uh, racket or string. Yeah. I mean, if I'm, if I'm playing, for instance, with Technofiber NRG squared, I know, and I know I'm a multi-filament player. I, I basically like the feel of that kind of string, but I reach a point where I want a little more control. I can go to the, the, your string tool and just look for a stiffer string in that category. And I can be reasonably certain that it's going to leave the racket with less power and give me more control. Well, with respect to that, maybe, maybe not, because string string works kind of counterintuitively where a string with the most power may or may not give you more power or more ball speed, okay? And the reason being is that a stiff string, um, when it comes to energy return for strings, it all comes down to stiffness. And the energy will go into the softer, um, the softer material. So you have a ball and a string bed. Uh, usually they're about the same stiffness, okay? Which means 50% of the energy will go into the ball and 50% will go into the strings. So say you get 
uh, make your your string bed stiffer by either using a stiffer string or by raising the tension, then your string bed will be stiffer than the ball. So more energy will go into the ball. And that's a bad thing because the ball loses 45% of the energy that goes into it. <laughs> okay. So a, a stiffer string gives you less ball velocity. So that means all polyesters give you less ball velocity with respect to bouncing off of a racket. Okay. But because you lose that ball velocity, you will end up swinging faster. You can swing much faster. And swing speed always trumps racket um, inherent or strings inherent power. That's why Michelle gets more power from Kevlar. That's than- what I was going to say. Right. <laughs> you know. Right. I mean, the most is- powerful string gives you yeah. the le- can give you the least velocity and the least powerful string can give you the most uh, velocity. I mean, it doesn't happen that way all the time, but you know, predominantly so. Literally say it again for the people I'm back, because when I say that about Kevlar, a Kevlar hybrid, people are like, oh no, it's the, it's the most control oriented string. There's no way you're hitting bigger. Right. Yes, there is. Right. Because (laughs) it literally unlocks the most powerful source of power, which is your You. Yes. Exactly. So that's just, you know, and Part of the challenge for anyone is figuring out how they relate to the data, which is great because, you know, you kind of want people to take ownership of that. Um, I, I, I like your, your concept of energy flow that you sort of touched on. Um, we tend to think of things like, you know, this is more powerful than that, when in fact, rackets and strings tend to limit or at least regulate the amount of power that makes it to the ball. So in, in some ways, they are both sites of power loss. Yeah, well, power loss is the key word there. When manufacturers make any of this equipment, they're not putting power into a racket. They're limiting the power loss is what they're actually trying to do. Right. The amount of energy that goes into a, an impact is defined up front by the energy in the ball and the racket as they come together at collision point. The, so the energy is already there. You're not going to make any more. You, you can't create more during the impact because you have the latest whiz-bang features on either the string or the rackets. They're not going to add put more power in. They're just going to prevent power losses or uh, energy losses from happening right. during the impact. So really, you never add power. You're always just trying to lose less. That's what a manufacturer will do with their rackets. The main things that most contribute to the limiting power or energy loss is the mass of the racket, specifically the distribution of the mass. So you want the, again, here's that term, hitting weight or effective mass the point of impact on your racket at that location, you want the highest effective mass. Okay. So when a ball hits a racket, it's not using the entire mass of the racket. Uh, you can, it's, you can calculate each spot, how much weight is actually coming into play 
uh, during the impact. Okay. So the number one thing is you want that spot to, to be as heavy as, as possible. So that's what the racket mass is the most important thing there, effective mass. And then the other thing is on the string side is that uh, to, set, to, to limit energy loss, you want um, the string to be softer than the ball. So that's the way, those are the two ways that you save the most energy in your equipment. Doing those two things, you will get the most ball velocity from the equipment only. But it doesn't mean that you're going to get the most velocity in your stroke because those two things may also make you swing differently. And so, again, the, the number one thing in the end is swing speed. It's always swing speed that makes the biggest difference. I mean, it, it, it sounds like a stiff string almost functions like a more flexible beam. In both cases, there are sites of sort of higher energy loss. They limit the amount of available energy that makes it into the ball. Yeah, when the masses, the relative mass of the racket and the ball is what determines the biggest energy loss because when a ball hits a racket, the racket is going to move in in four different ways number one is going to bend right and that's that's an energy loss because the bending doesn't bend back in time to give that bending energy back to the ball so that's gone it moves translates backwards so the, the racket the ball hits and it goes back um that's energy loss that's energy spent moving the racket backwards it's also going to rotate backwards so that's rotational energy that's lost and it's also going to uh if you hit off center it's going to twist backwards so those three right. motions plus the bending are right. all energy that goes into the racket's motion that you'll never get back right. okay right. and the more mass you have the less it's going to twist the less it's going to rotate and the less it's going to translate and the stiffer it is plus the more massive because uh, something heavier also bends uh, less upon impact. Um, the more mass you have, the less energy you're going to lose in all four of those, the, those factors. With regard to rackets, the mass is the most important. When it comes to strings, the stiffness is the most important right. thing. Right. And you, the stiffer the string, the more energy is going to get lost because the energy is directed into the ball and the ball loses half of the energy that goes into it. Strings generally you lose for nylons and guts, maybe 5% of the energy that goes into it. And polyesters will lose anywhere from 10 to 20% of the energy that goes into it. So if you're directing the energy into the ball uh, because your string is stiff, uh, you're going to lose more energy in, in dissipation in the ball. Whereas if you have more energy going to the strings instead by using a softer string, uh, then you're only going to lose five to, to 15 or 20% in the strings. So more energy that you can get going into the strings, the less energy you'll lose. And the heavier the racket at the same time, the less energy you're going to lose. Right. So it's really just about limiting your energy loss. <laughs> and you, you actually got into touched on something else which 
sort of segues into, let's just call it racket shock or impact shock. Um, and, and so I have a question. Hopefully it allows us to sort of focus on it. Let's say if you wanted to know if a particular racket was going to be arm friendly and someone was only going to let you know one spec, would you rather know the racket's hitting weight or the stiffness, the RA? Uh, probably the hitting weight. Okay. And why? <laughs> that because the hitting weight would indicate that the ball is going to move the racket back less if, it, if it's a high hitting weight. So if the racket goes back less, the arm goes back less, and the elbow gets a smaller shock. So that there's, uh, you know. The racket displacement. There's less movement there. Stiffness will actually increase the size of the force upon impact, but it will be for a shorter amount of time. But um, because it's a shorter amount of time, your arm will actually move a little bit less also, but the mass is a much greater effect. I mean, I say this all the time, and I it, it, would you rather get in an accident with a stiff Mack truck or a flexible moped? <laughs> but wait, here's a quick question. Let me interject. So can someone that has maybe a history of arm problems continue to have arm problems with a flexible racket with a low hitting weight? Yeah, anything that's going to anything that's going to contribute to the arm moving upon impact. Now, yeah, it's the racket it's the shock from the racket displacement where the racket is going boop boop and like that, in right. all those cases, your arm is getting twisted, getting, getting jer jerked around. Yeah. Uh, and, and, but then it comes down to, and again, I don't know what's going on biomechanically. I, so, you know, yeah. I don't want to say what causes or what doesn't cause tennis elbow. That's a, a right. medical question, but just as far as what's happening to the racket, um, you know, you can have a flexible racket and a flexible racket it disperses the um, force over a longer time. So because it bends, it slows the ball down over a greater amount of time because the, it, the racket is bending backwards. Okay, so this force is a little bit smaller and it's over a longer period of time. Therefore, there's less, uh, uh, less force and a, a, a smaller shock to your hand and your arm. Right. A stiffer string bed and stiffer racket is going to make the force higher, but it's going to be a shorter amount of time. I don't know the answer, but just intuitively, I would want a smaller force than a bigger force, even, even if the bigger force is for a shorter amount of time. I mean, big forces just, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think those are going to hurt. Um, right. And then the other thing, of course, we, we talk about a lot is vibration frequency. The vibration itself is very small energy compared to the shock, um, and it, but it lasts longer. So that's what you're more conscious of lots of times because you, you can feel it after the ball's left for, you know, it dampens itself out usually in about 50 milliseconds, which, um, you know, five, 50, one thousandths of a second is not very long, but, you know, it's long enough for, to, to feel. Um, the shock is gone within uh, three, four, five milliseconds. So um uh so you're not as conscious of it but but racket displacement is is just 
you know, creating more force than the vibration that's coming from, say, both the string bed or the string bed and the racket. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, when I used to get calls from folks and they wanted advice on, you know, how to, how to get, how to solve their, their tennis elbow issues, I, you know, I, I immediately went to the, to the racket weight. I was just curious, you know, over that feature you know, first. Um, but then we get into the problem of, uh, you know, racket weight is going to cause less uh, translation and rotation of the racket. Right. Are you going to hit the ball late? Um, yeah, exactly. They exactly. may be hitting late or ruin right. their, their, their mechanics in one right. way or another, which would then, you know, make the problem worse also. And as a result, I was basically advising three, five players who were playing with, you know, a racket with a 305 swing weight. I was putting them into rackets with 350 swing weights and saying, you'll be fine. <laughs> you'll win the collision with the ball if your racket ever makes it. But it's, it's, I mean, and that's the thing is like each person needs, that's why demoing is so important. Each person does need to demo records because even just me and Mark Boone, we have very different stroke styles, but we like rackets that have very similar swing weights. And I am always like on a play test with him and I'll see him swinging a racket well above a 350 swing weight or high, high, heavy hitting weight. And I'm like, huh. That's definitely a different way of doing it, like the compared to how I am. And it works for him. It works for his mechanics. Mine works for my mechanics. So you can have two different styles and right. still, you know, so I don't know. Just saying demo. <laughs> Try well, it <yeah>. out. <laughs> you demoing in the end, demoing it's all about what you like. And like we said earlier, what you like is going to make you play better, probably anyway. Um you know, that that's why it's just, again, so important to be able to quantify all of this stuff. And so that everybody has a, a baseline context within within which they can make their decisions um, intelligently so that, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> so this is, you know, one other question I had about sort of the way the industry labels things. I know we've sort of talked about your power tool, but maybe we can get into it a little in a little more depth. Um, the industry tends to refer to heavy players' rackets as control rackets or control and feel. Um, mm. And they refer to light, stiff rackets as power rackets. However, your power tool at Tennis Warehouse University tells a more complicated story. Is this going to be a complicated answer? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I was going to say this might be a good stopping point where we can pause this conversation and then right. carry it on into a I don't know. episode. Right. I don't <laughs> now know. I'm remembering why these don't get done we as might, often. Maybe we can package it and turn it into two episodes. That's right? what I was thinking. Okay, let's let's repackage them. Okay, so that's great. If you are interested in hearing the answer to the question that Jada just asked, be sure to tune in to a cliffhanger part two. And until next time, happy hitting. (laughs) 
Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you download your episodes. And be sure to visit our websites for all of the tennis deals at tenniswarehouse.com, tenniswarehouseeurope.com, and tennisonly.com.au. Hope you enjoyed this episode. And until next time, happy hitting. Yeah, I'm worried about my lighting here, Michelle. I, you look great. Yeah, you look better than in person. <laughs> Do you have the pretty filter on? <laughs> now I feel self-conscious. I don't look as good. I got the uh, look handsome, uh, hunkish, and 20-year-old filter on. <laughs>